want to uh, jump right into this uh, next parable in this series in Luke 16 as we've been going through the gospel of Luke for uh, quite some time and, uh, and Jesus has been telling a series of parables. This is the fourth in that series and they all begin with there was a certain man kind of uh, beginning or in this case there was a rich man and since it's a parable I want to suggest that it's very important that we do not take it literally but it is as important or more important that we take it seriously okay the rich man in this story is uh, well-to-do and uh, he wears his wealth on his sleeve uh, literally fabulously blessed he's got fine food fine clothing fine health every day all of his needs satisfied now the other character in our story Lazarus in uh, he's the only character in any of Jesus stories that has a name it's curious his name is a Greek version of a truncated form of a Hebrew word meaning God helps. Something to think about as we move through this text. Because here he is, a helpless man that lies at the gate of the millionaire's house and he has the name God helps. Some sort of sad irony here. Well, our text says in verse 20, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores. And I would suggest that, uh, in fact, the word was laid is probably too calming. It was more like he was dumped at the gate of the rich man. And this happens around the world even to this day where friends or family or someone who knows the beggar takes them and so to speak dumps them off at the gate of a public place or on the corner of a public place and later that night they would come to get the beggar well, since this rich man is at the rich man's estate, it is fair to say that he has now become the responsibility, in a sense, of the rich man. But no one is coming to get him at night. In fact, his dream is to catch the crumbs, and even though his expectations are low, his longings to catch the crumbs that are thrown out from the man's estate go unfulfilled. The rich man effectively ignores the need of the one on his doorstep. And I think the dogs in the story tip us off because they would typically come at night. And dogs in Jewish thought were much like rats or rodents. They were wild. They were unclean. They were, uh, uh, in general, uh, unpleasant creatures. And only the mangy dogs saw the need. They used the lick of their tongues to provide relief to this man's sores. 
So we have this vivid contrast between this fantastically fine man and this perpetually pitiful man. And this opening scene prompts lots of questions, and there are lots of ways that we could think about our text, including this one. What is more disturbing than a pack of wild dogs providing better care than a blessed person? And that will get your wheels turning. Well, after death, there's this huge reversal. Lazarus dies, and he's transported. He's transported by angels. And he goes straight to the side of Abraham. The text says, Abraham's bosom, not a bad spot for an ancient Israelite to go. Abraham as the father figure, the father of faith. And I suspect that there is the overtone, as we've seen through the Gospel of Luke, of the heavenly banquet. And here is Father Abraham at the banquet. And this man is at Father Abraham's bosom because he would be laying there at the banquet table beside him. Everything the man had missed, he now has. Think of that banquet table, a place of honor, a place of his needs satisfied, a place of community and friendship. Well, what about our rich man in the story? Well, in contrast, the Bible says the rich man's buried. He's put in the ground. There's, there's no ceremony mentioned, no mention of angels. He's, he's in the place of Hades, that is hell, the place of the dead, the realm of the dead. It doesn't sound like a very good place to me, nor what he was expecting, nor what he was wanting. One rests in the bosom of Abraham. What could be more comforting? The other is being tormented, is our word. The word tortured. Everybody loving this parable so far? How in the world is this all going to sort out? And how do we sort through it? And then there's this great chasm the text says, that is set in place. This, this uncrossable separation between the rich man and Abraham. And the rich man tries to speak to Abraham, and the se- separation, while, while this is a story, it denotes something that God does. God creates this separation. Human beings don't create the separation. God builds this barrier that's too far to cross. God bridges the barrier as well. Now listen carefully. Because some might conclude that Jesus is saying that the poor go to heaven and the rich go to hell. In fact, it'd be hard to conclude otherwise so far based upon what we've read. But I want us to think about this because it is obviously wrong. There's more to the story. For the simple reason that Father Abraham was a very rich man. And he's the one who is there 
attending to Lazarus. So if we are to read the parable so simplistically, then Abraham himself is in the wrong place. There's a deeper truth that we need to unravel. Think the rich man seals his own condemnation, if we might listen and read the text again, in, starting in verse 23, in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side, and so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus. to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in an agony in this fire. Here's a question. If this rich man knew Lazarus by name before his death, now knows him by name after death. If he knows him now, he must have known him then. And yet, do you notice how he continues to see himself better than Lazarus? It seems that even in hell, the rich man only sees Lazarus as his errand boy. But that's not possible because there's this great chasm between them. And the rich man makes his request not to God, but to Abraham, asking him to take care of a basic need, the rich man's thirst Ironically, the very thing he refused to provide to Lazarus. And here's where the parable gets pointed. I think Jesus uses Lazarus and rich man because money has this callousing effect. It desensitizes our hearts to others and even to our true need. And this is what happened to the rich man. It desensitizes our, our hearts to God's truth, as we'll read the rest of the parable. Money, wealth, reinforces a belief that we deserve what we have. That we earn our way in the world. By contrast, those who do not have deserve what they do not have. It's on them. And like the rich man, it is so easy to look down and bypass poor Lazarus. 
The passage, however, brings home another truth that is conveyed throughout Scripture, and it's this, that a failure to give mercy results in a failure to receive mercy. One of the harsher elements of Scripture. And particularly until we listen carefully to Jesus' story, then it's, while it seems harsh, it also seems appropriately right. Truth is not easy. Well, our story doesn't end there. Let's finish the verses, 25 through 28. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, but while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Now I want you to see though, please continue on in our text if you don't mind, uh, in uh, verses 29 and 30. I've kind of misled you on the text there, but go ahead and advance it. There it is. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. He's talking about the five sons. No father, Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The parable curiously shifts on us. And moves, in a sense, from talking about a rich man and a poor man, even though it's about that, it now is suddenly about our attention to the Word of God. And again, my premise, my point, that money or wealth begins, sets a callousness, a desensitization in our hearts where we fail to pay attention to spiritual things. I'd like you to take a personal inventory for just a moment. Do you have more in common with the rich man or Lazarus? And by how quiet you are, I think you already know. Is there a single one of us in this auditorium that had to beg this week? Anyone with sores that went unattended? that you were out in the cold and the dogs took care of you overnight, that you were willing to accept the lick of a dog as your nurse. Yeah, most of us are more like the rich man. I think it puts enormous responsibility on us and I think that was Jesus' intention. Our actions matter and there is a great accounting in life. And aren't we thankful there is? That the things we do, 
the, the actions we take, our behaviors, our motivations. It, it, it's, it's, it's not just all willy-nilly. It really does matter in God's great scheme. Our faith now determines our place with God later. And the next life is a part of God's plan of justice and accountability. Of course, we don't want the life for eternity that this rich man has. And again, as I started, as I said earlier, this is a parable. Who knows what it's literally like? But I'm pretty sure we don't want to be hot and thirsty forever and miss the great banquet. But there's more in the text even than this, even than I've mentioned. Because what I see in the rich man, and this should be also one of our concerns, is that the rich man experiences in the next life is regret. He saw in death what he could not see in life. And this is what I believe the point of the story is for us today, for us to hear as ones who have time in this moment, in this time, to, to, to remedy that so that our life is not in the future. There are no regrets. So the question becomes as the, we can see in the text itself, as it shifts from the rich man and Lazarus to one about Moses and the law and, and the, the prophets, and are we, if, what is all of that? The point is, are we listening, really listening to God? And if the five brothers can ignore Moses and the prophets, then they can ignore Jesus' word and the resurrection from the dead. And guess what? So can we. Let me put it this way. The poor man's physical needs enabled him to see his deeper spiritual needs. The rich man's lack of physical need prevented him from seeing his true spiritual need. How do you properly value your wealth in light of your faith in God? This is a series all the way through Luke 16 that makes us think about God's, the wealth of God's grace, his extension of mercy to us, the, the need for generosity in our heart, and the evidence of that by how we treat others. The rich man failed the first test. Here it is. It's the examination of your own soul. The primary way to attend to your own soul is to examine it, examine it under the word of God to read the word, to review it, to align your heart with it, and ask yourself, what parts 
of who I am and the way I'm living need to go, need to be purged? How, in what ways do I need to repent? What priorities in my life need to be realigned, need to be scrutinized? And the great gulf, the chasm in this parable, is not caused by a God who is a tyrant, but by those who refuse to face their own desperate and perpetual need for mercy. Every last one of us. Only the word of Christ and the incarnation of God in Christ Jesus clarifies these priorities. And what I believe should happen as we read this parable and as we think and as we meditate on this parable is we come again into the mercy of Jesus Christ. It leads us to give our wealth freely. It leads us into eternity with no regrets. It leads us into a desperate realization that we are all beggars helping other beggars find the way. May the word of God ring in your heart today.